building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. This week, we're taking a break from Ken's podcast to share the Promise Keepers Men's Marriage Summit, where Ken and several other guests share honest, real stories and practical teachings to improve all areas of marriage. In part one this week, you'll hear from Ken Harrison, Samuel Rodriguez, Dr. Gary Rosberg, Tim Ross, Al Robertson, and Dr. Gary Chapman. The full Men's Marriage Summit is available at promisekeepers.org, along with the 21-Day Marriage Challenge in the Promise Keepers community app. Let's listen in to part one of the Men's Marriage Summit today. Hey everyone, Samuel Rodriguez. We have all lived through this past year. We are collectively experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, not just from a year of COVID, but a year of social and political unrest political angst, ambiguity, a spiritual lukewarmness in many sectors of our nation, the world, and even the issues of lockdown. So many issues have impacted. Let me tell you what institution has suffered the most, but it's not just because of last year. It's the institution of marriage. For the past few years, we have seen this God-ordained institution under unprecedented assault, arguably, We have never seen the institution of marriage more threatened than in the past few years. There's a reason why hell and darkness hate the institution of marriage. Healthy marriages, healthy families, healthy marriages produce healthy families. Healthy families assimilate and make up healthy churches. Healthy churches produce healthy communities. A healthy community will produce a healthy state A healthy state will be part of a healthy nation. Do you get the idea? It begins with the institution of marriage. Some of the stats that we have seen from the past 12 months are alarming. Matter of fact, they are so alarming that I debated within myself of whether or not I would share with you the major stats coming out of the past 12 to 14 months, especially the months around COVID. What am I talking about? Pornography. Pornography is a Herod spirit, meaning pornography is counter to marriage and healthy relationships. That spirit of pornography blew up during the COVID pandemic. More people are engaging, watching porn than ever before in American history, than ever before in human history. Porn addiction before COVID was a thing. After COVID, it is literally now an issue where now even the secular government is beginning to address this issue via the conduit of healthcare and health awareness. Not just pornography. We're talking about abuse within marriages. We're talking about adultery, sexual immorality, and the unfortunate outcome of many of these marriages impacted by the melees and the chaos of not only pornography, but of anger and so many issues that are unresolved is the outcome of divorce. And then we look at the outcome of divorce as it pertains to 
future generations. Can you come in agreement with me as it pertains to the word of God? Can you come in agreement that if we do things right in fixing marriages, our children will not inherit unhealthy relationships. Our children will not inherit our sins. Our children will inherit our blessings. It begins with a marriage committed to Jesus. No other ministry that I am aware of, and I've done my thorough due diligence, I have. I am not aware of any other ministry that has been so instrumental. There are other beautiful ministries, but this ministry, in my opinion, is arguably the quintessential ministry out there, ministering to and transforming marriages through the transformation of men. I'm talking about promise keepers. Promise Keepers is the number one marriage-saving ministry on the planet via the conduit of transforming men with the saving grace of Jesus. More men are coming to Christ and are being transformed or even made aware. They're cognizant of their issues, their anger issues, issues with pornography, with undealt, unresolved issues from previous generations through Promise Keepers than any other ministry that I'm aware of. That's why today's marriage summit is not a kumbaya gathering. This marriage summit may very arguably well be, may very well be the most important summit you participate or attend, even virtually, this year. This may actually save your marriage, your relationship, or if you have a healthy marriage, the marriage of someone you love. The next few minutes will change your life. Pay attention. Get a hold of everything God has given you and depositing in you. Because we are about to see our marriages transformed via the gracious, vicarious, atoning work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is about to fill your marriage through this summit. Get ready. Get ready. Healthy marriages via the conduit of promise keepers. Let's do this. Do covenant men divorce their wives? No. Do covenant men addict themselves to internet porn? No. Are covenant men real men? Yes. Have we made mistakes in our life? Yes. Do we need God to forgive us? Yes. If you ask God to forgive you something and he does and you don't forgive yourself, you've made yourself greater than God. No. He said it's good I made the sun, good I made stars, good I made water, but it is not good that man should be alone. And yet he wasn't alone. God was there. He said, no, no, no. I'm here, but I need to have something just like you, but different. Something you're gonna need and long for and desire. Something you're gonna not be able to live without. And yet, it's going to drive you crazy. And God goes, oh, that's what I'll do. I'll design a man and a woman to stay married for life, and I'll give them, oh, then the kids growing up in that house, they'll be like, Oh, this is like heaven. Would you say that your home, as you look at it, would you say it's more like heaven or more like hell? You got an investment at home, brother. Invest in your own wife. Take some time and spend with her. Eat right with her. Buy the right things for her. And then stand back and whistle at her. Say, hey, hey, girl, you got it going on. 
she trusts you that when there is a burden on her heart, that you are there searching it out saying, I want to talk to you. See guys, every guy in here, we got to figure out where does our wife need us to trust them. What do you mean you can't stay married and you've only been married 10 years? You haven't been married long enough to even get to know the full name of the person you're married to yet. It takes a lifetime to get a marriage right. My name is Dr. Gary Rosberg, and Barb and I are America's Family Coaches. And I tell you guys, it is my honor to serve as your marriage coach for tonight for the Promise Keepers Marriage Summit, and I am absolutely jazzed to come alongside of you. Now, during the 12 seasons that I shared the platform with incredible speakers, names that you do remember, you probably don't remember me, that's fine, uh, but we went all across this great country and spoke into the hearts and the chests of godly men. Guys wanting to get it right, real guys just like you and me that desire to serve their wife, their kids, their grandkids, their friends, as single guys, pastors, guys all around this great nation. And we are seeing a resurgence of Promise Keeper, and I'm cheering Ken and the team on as they continue to serve and speak into you. Uh, I've been married 45 years. Uh, that's incredible. We blinked. We've got 12 grandkids. We've got two daughters and two great son-in-laws. And my job, just like your job, as imperfect as we are, is to speak into them, to bless them, to remind them that, uh, you know what, they've got a dad, they've got a husband, in my situation, a grandpa, that is sold out for the cause of Christ and come alongside to love them and encourage them. God's got a plan for me, God's got a plan for you. We can't do it alone, and that's why we're here at the PK Marriage Summit. Now, promise number four deals with us as husbands and dads, and here's what it says, that we are committed to building strong marriages and families through love, protection, and biblical values. And guys, that's our greatest joy. You're not alone, guys. There are guys all over the country, all over the world that are gonna be watching this. And we're coming alongside of you in deep humility and deep honor in order to encourage you. And I'm the first guy that gets to speak into you and to coach you up. A number of years ago, Barb and I wrote a book called The Five Love Needs of Men and Women. We surveyed 700 couples all across the country, eight geographical areas. And we asked them, what do you need in order to have a great marriage? What's absolutely remarkable is the number one love need for men and women was exactly the same, and that's unconditional love and acceptance. And men, if you're like me, uh, that's where John 3.16 comes screaming to the surface as having incredible meaning for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall experience eternal life. And you know what, you guys? Our Jesus loves us unconditionally. That's an agape love. Now, when we look at this, and we look at the, the research findings from our book, one of the things we realize is none of us can do that. Um, and yet my job is to love Barb unconditionally and to help prepare her for eternity with Jesus. Her love is to love me unconditionally and to accept me with all my warts and all my clay feet and all the, the stuff that I brought to 45 years of marriage. And yet that is her desire and my desire. So how do we do that? Because guys like you and me, we don't know how to do that. Um, one of the things that Barb and I have gotten to do is to travel globally, and we have gone to South Africa for three weeks at a time over nine different years. And one of the first years we were there, we were talking about some of these concepts of unconditional love and acceptance and husbands out serving their wives and a uh, big Afrikaans guy. So these are eighth generation white Dutch farmers that came from Holland down to South Africa. This guy comes up to me and he says, Dr. Rosberg, he said, um, in Afrikaans, which is their language, um, he said, when we say I love you, here's what it sounds like like, ek lief for you. It means I hold your heart. And that's one of the things, guys, that I'm gonna coach you on over the next several minutes. Barb and I have these red hearts. 
And when we're coaching couples, when we're speaking at conferences, when we're speaking into people just like you and me, we tell them that, guys, when you sit down with your wife, we want you to hold her heart. Now, what does it mean? It means that you're holding her emotions, you're holding her desires, you're holding her longings in the palms of your hand. And I can tell you when Barb and I sit in two chairs that are right over here in this room, and I hand her my heart, she knows it's gonna be a time of transparency of what I'm thinking, it's gonna be a time of vulnerability opening up my heart. Now, I, I, I've been trained in this, I've written books about this, but I'm telling you guys, every day I start over like you do. And if your wife's like my wife, we start over every day because they keep changing the goalposts on us when we're trying to get this thing right. But you know what? We don't have to always get it right, we just have to be committed. We have to be committed to loving and honoring and cherishing our brides for the cause of Christ. And we need to be alert in order to do that. So I'm gonna take the next few minutes and just coach you up on how you do that. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. But then he says, do everything in love. And if you're like me, we get the first part of that verse, you know, being on our guard and stand firm in faith and being strong and being courageous. We get that part, but doing everything in love sometimes breaks down. We have to learn how to speak with great honor and dignity and love. And we have practiced that all these years. That takeaway for you tonight at the PK Marriage Summit may be just the reason you're here. And then another takeaway I wanna give you is that there's one word that we find couples are longing for, and it's the word empathy. And when I look at empathy, I look at a, three or four different things. First of all, what you do is you, you look at the perspective of the issue through your wife's heart and mind. So guys, when she is sharing her heart, when you're focusing on her, it's like you can go behind her, sit, stand behind her in her chair and see what she is seeing. You're seeing her perspective. Number two, you're withholding judgment from your precious bride. Guys, don't be rolling your eyes and critiquing her and looking at your phone or checking a score or something. Number three, you identify the depth of emotion that she's experiencing. Honey, you must be frustrated. You must be irritated. You must be really fed up. You must be discouraged. And then where it really lands the plane is when you not only identify her emotion, but you identify your own. And you begin to unpack times where you've experienced that. When you do that, you will experience connection. And what Barb and I have learned is when, you, when we do everything in love, that 1 Corinthians 16 verse, we are experiencing connection. So guys, I'm for you. You're gonna have a great night. We've got some great guys and, and gals that are gonna be coaching and speaking into you. And then potentially, after you do the next three or four weeks of some of these uh, different opportunities, Barb and I will come back and we're gonna join you. And we're gonna teach you how to pray conversationally. We're gonna, conversationally, we're gonna teach you and coach you on how to hold each other's one, one another's hearts. We're gonna come alongside and speak into you and love on you and see you as kind of a bookend on the other end of this. Again, my name is Gary Rosberg. I'm your marriage coach and I'm for you and I'm so stinking proud of you that you showed up for the PK Marriage Summit. We'll see you in a few weeks and get ready for a great event. Man, let's talk about something we all love. Let's talk about something the Bible has a lot to say about. Let's talk about sex. You know, when God created male and female, the first thing he did was prescribe marriage. The one thing that separates marriage from all the other relationships is sex. Sex is a precious thing in the eyes of our Lord. It is two people creating the image of God coming together as one. It is a precious and amazing thing. And yet, ironically in the church, we never talk about it. Let's talk about it in the confines of marriage, the only place where God says sex is done in a healthy way in the way he created the world and intended for it to be. 
We all have a, a powerful sex drive, men. And um, the thing that is, we don't always understand what it is or how it comes about. Now understand it, you have a sex drive, but you only have that after other needs are met. If you were starving to death, you wouldn't have a sex drive. If you're freezing to death, you wouldn't have a sex drive. Well, once you have those basic needs met, now that sex drive becomes an all-encompassing drive for a lot of us. Women have the same exact thing. They just have a couple more things that need to be met before they have that same sex drive. Women need to feel protected. They need to feel provided for. They need to feel safe. They need to feel like the man they had sex with is still gonna be there tomorrow morning. And when those needs are met, a lot of times their sex drive is somewhat equivalent to ours. And that's where the beauty of marriage comes in. So, so how do we do that and how do we meet those needs in a way that makes for a healthy sexual relationship within our marriages? I'm gonna give you a couple of points and you might wanna take some notes down on these because uh, we're gonna go pretty fast. But one of the things that we as men are often not very empathetic with, with women, is how their bodies are always changing. See, our bodies are never changing. Except for puberty, which was all good for us. That was that moment when you were a kid and you looked forward to and your voice got deeper and your body got all hairy and you started feeling like you were a man. Women have times that they go through of bodily changes all the time. Puberty for a lot of women wasn't a great thing. They grew breasts, they started their menstrual cycle, boys started looking at them weird. The same boys they used to go down to the creek and catch salamanders with were now looking at them in this weird way and they were trying to figure out the new world in which they were living. And every month, a woman's body goes through a menstrual cycle of change. And let's talk about pregnancy. Let's talk about a nine-month process where a woman's body completely changes in the most amazing way ever, where she's actually making life within her own body. And then menopause, where in her early 50s, women give up the ability to have kids. And for a lot of women, that's very traumatic. For a lot of women, their identity comes from being mothers, and it's that official moment in which they physically can no longer be a mother. A man never loses his ability to have kids. And so we gotta be empathetic to the fact that our wives' bodies are constantly changing and going through changes, whereas us, we're pretty much always the same. And how might that affect how we approach sex and relationship? The reason that's so important is we've got to be empathetic to our wives about where they are in each moment of the day. See, for a man, a sexual encounter has zero consequence. A man orgasms and he's done. For a woman, every sexual encounter has the possibility to be a life-changing event called pregnancy. Every time she has sex, she might get pregnant and end up with a child for the rest of her life. And you talk about in the natural, it's not just that, it's the physical changes to her body, it's the danger. Especially, you know, for the last several thousands of years, how many women died in childbirth. And so when we approach sex, it can often be very selfish. It's a physical gratifying event. It's over, I'm done, I'm going to watch football. And for our wives, in their natural instincts, it is a potential life-altering event. And so therefore, we wanna be sensitive to the fact that sex is a moment, it is a major instance for a woman different than how it is for a man. You see, for women, a lot of times, sex is something that starts out throughout the whole day. My wife and I always joke that, you know, her love language is acts of service, and washing the dishes is the best thing I can ever do to get her in the mood. Sex doesn't start when you go into the bedroom, it starts throughout the day. How cherished does she feel? How much does she feel like you're that man who makes her feel safe and protected and provided for, that you would never leave her no matter what? Does she feel that way? Sometimes we get into the bedroom and our wife says she's not in the mood and we get critical or upset or angry and stop for a moment and think maybe why is she not in the mood? Maybe it comes from something that she went through that day, the bodily changes we talked about, or maybe it comes because you told her 
an hour ago she needed to lose 15 pounds. It has a, a terrible effect on a woman. You forgot about it, but she didn't. See, I was talking to a bunch of guys the other day and they were talking about pornography and how they couldn't help themselves and how God created them to be that way. And I said, no, 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 I'm sorry guys. God didn't create you to be that way. God created you to have an intense longing for your wife, for the two to become one flesh. Sin created that same longing for every other woman. And there's something in each one of us that the, the Bible says we must flee from sin. It's an action. It's a running in terror from it because it'll separate us from God, from our kids, from our wives. You can do that. Men think that they have to live their lives laden down with lustful thoughts and lust. I'm telling you that you don't. The Bible didn't tell you to flee from lustful desires when it couldn't actually happen. Do you have any idea how secure and precious your wife feels to you when she is the apple of your eye, when she's the only object of your desire? And you may be thinking, I just can't get there. I'm here to tell you that you can. You can't get there in your flesh. You can't get there by trying harder. You can't get there by feeling guilty, but you can get there by giving your life over to Christ. See, as we die to ourselves daily, as Jesus told us to do, as we fill ourselves up in scripture and in prayer, it's amazing the transformation that comes inside you. Suddenly the world starts to look different and people look different. Suddenly you look at women as your sisters and you look at your wife as the sole object of your lust. Those of you who have heard me talk before have maybe heard me talk about pornography where I said, that young woman who's making that pornography film isn't doing it because she's having fun. She's doing it because she's been sexually traumatized or abused or trafficked. And those people who are making that movie are not doing it because they're your friends. They're doing it because every time you click on a mouse, they make more money to exploit more women. A man of God sees a woman like that and doesn't get titillated. He wants to run in with a blanket and wrap it around her and tell her, you don't have to do this anymore. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you why you're precious in the eyes of your creator. That's how a man of God sees the world. But let me go back to what I said a minute ago. You're not gonna get there by listening to me and feeling guilty or hanging your head or trying really, really hard. You're gonna get there by giving your life to Christ daily. The reason Jesus said you need to pick up your cross daily and follow me is because it's a daily choice. Once you've given your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside you and the Holy Spirit grows and gives it a more and more of a presence within you, changing your desires to be like His, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, as you give your life over to Him. So every morning, every moment we make a choice, will I follow God or will I not follow God? And I'm telling you, you'll be amazed at how your desires will shift. And no longer do you see women the same way you were taught to see women from the time you hit puberty. Guys, I know that you may never have heard this before. In fact, you probably haven't. And I know it could be hard. But we can do this. Remember, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Bill McCartney, uh, who started Promise Keeper, said, the greatest thing a man can do for his kids is to love his wife. So let's do that. Here's a marriage myth for you. Our sex needs are different, so we must not be compatible. So many couples struggle with this, and I've often taught this thought, okay? We come into marriage and go through marriage with different Sexpectations. <laughs> That's my word. I coined that. Sexpectations are real. They are there and they exist. The key is having a conversation about it. Of course you're going to feel incompatible at times. You're human beings. And of course you're not going to be on the same sex page all the time. But talk about it. Continue to understand each other. That's the key to making sure you move through the sexual relationship in a positive way. Men and women have different desires. The joy 
is getting on the same page. And then uh, I would just tell the men, you got to find the key to your wife's heart. Uh, guys, there's a big difference between two people being different and two people being incompatible. The fact that you are different actually strengthens your compatibility. Uh, it was wrong that man was alone. It was unhealthy that man was alone. So God made someone who was different but compatible. Uh, we need to be growing. You need to be growing in your relationship and communication is the key. Yeah, you're different. Yeah, you have different appetites, but uh, communicate and uh, find out what uh, the other person needs. The reason you're incompatible is not because she's the wrong woman. It's because she is a woman. God did that on purpose, but here's some good news. For some of you men, you're addicted to porn. You're gonna have to get off that immediately because you're giving away your power and your energy. When you start feeling the desire for sex, what you're gonna need to do is picture your woman, fantasize about your wife, and put the energy towards her. What's up, Promise Keepers men? I am Tim Ross. I am grateful that I have the opportunity uh, to share something with you that I think is going to move the needle significantly uh, in your marriage. I've been married to the love of my life, Juliet Ross, for 21 years. We'll celebrate 22 years of marriage, May 1st of 2021. Listen, uh, I want to draw your attention very, very quickly to uh, the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 10, and I won't read the entire thing. I want to paraphrase, but uh, verse 22 is really what I want to get at in the NLT. Uh, 17 through 21 is this narrative about when Saul is chosen to be the king of all Israel. Samuel is the one that's going to anoint him, and he is going to be the first king in Israel's history. Uh, they do this process of elimination. It's kind of American Idol-esque in the way they get down to uh, figuring out who is going to be king. But this verse gives us some context to where I want to go. Verse 22, they couldn't find him. And they said, so they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. I want you to just think about that real quick. He is hiding among the baggage. I want to talk to you for the few, minute, few moments that we have together from a title called Unpack Your Bags. Now, now I know I'm supposed to be helping marriages and you probably want to know how to fix your spouse, but um, I want to focus on you unpacking your Bags. Before we try to figure out what's going on with our wives, how about we figure out what's going on with us and in us? So there's four practical steps that I want you to have as it relates to unpacking your bags. And the first one is very, very simple. Bring your bags. You heard me right, and it seems like a no-duh statement, but you need to bring your bags. I remember when I got married to Juliet um, over 20 years ago, I was afraid to bring my bags. Now, let's just be honest real quick. Every single one of us has bags. If you even try to act like you don't have bags, I don't even know what to tell you. Uh, you're lying to yourself and you need a reality check right now. Every single one of us has bags. And some of us may come with a couple of duffel bags into the relationship. Maybe somebody has a backpack. 
uh, uh, somebody, we might hear this, beep, 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 because you might be backing up a truck of stuff to unpack. Whether it's big or small, you have to bring your bags into the relationship and show up and own that you got some stuff that you've accumulated along the way. You have some stuff that you've accumulated in your life. Now, before you get prideful and think, well, my bag is not that big, it's only a little duffel bag and you have this huge, you know, three, four trunk load of things that you've brought into this relationship. Listen, a small bag doesn't mean that we have small issues. You could have a small bag with a bomb in it. While this other person may have four or five or six things that they're bringing into the relationship, they might not be as explosive as your one thing. So let's not get prideful about the size of these bags. Let's worry about what's on the inside of them. But the first thing you gotta do is bring them. The second thing you gotta do is unpack them. Don't show up and then leave them there. You must unpack your bags. We gotta do this. All of us have to do this. And listen, I know that there's a lot of stuff in that bag that we don't like, but you gotta unpack it anyway. In my relationship, I had to unpack the trauma of sexual molestation when I was a child. I had to unpack the embarrassment of uh, a pornographic addiction. I got exposed to pornography when I was 12, a highly promiscuous lifestyle by the time I was 19. When I got married to my wife, all of that was still in, inside. I had to unpack those bags. So whatever's on the inside, don't be afraid to bring it out. Point number three, sort through your stuff. I can't stress this enough. Listen, you got some bags, you've unpacked them, we gotta sort through this stuff. And you need to be able to go through each and every bag, each and every item, and we need to label it. Listen, you'll never have victory for what you don't have a definition for. You will never be declared a winner if you have something unlabeled. So I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but you need to sort through your stuff and you need to label it. Whatever doesn't come up and out of your mouth through words will come up and out of your body through action, through behavior. So you need to sort through your stuff. And if you're dealing with anger issues, you need to label that anger. Because if you don't label it, you're going to act it out. If you're dealing with lustful issues, you need to label that lust. Because if you don't label it, you're going to act it out. If you're dealing with bouts of fear and depression, and you don't label it, you're going to act it out with withdrawal and isolation. So, so I'm, I'm trying to encourage you, sort through your stuff. Fourth, last, but certainly not least, put your stuff away. I got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old, and uh, this is my constant uh, refrain for them each and every single day. Put it away after they eat. Put it away after they drink something. Put it away. They take off their clothes. Put it away. <laughs> Don't leave it out. 
You got to put that stuff away. If you bring it, unpack it. If you unpack it, sort through it. But after you've sorted through everything and you've labeled everything the way it needs to be labeled, please put that stuff away. It doesn't mean that it goes away, but it does mean you put it away. Yes, I told you that I was sexually molested when I was eight years old. Yes, I told you that I was uh, uh, bound by, to pornography. Yes, I told you that I used to be very, very promiscuous. None of that stuff has really gone away, but I've put it away. Maybe it's time to remind ourselves of the encouragement Paul gave. When I was a child, I acted like a child and I thought as a child. But when I grew up, when I matured, I put away my childish things. So, man, here's my encouragement to you. There is so much that you have to give your wife. And I know that you might be thinking, man, I thought you were going to give me some tips on her bags. Nah, man. Get your bag sorted out. And the freer you are, the more open you'll be to help her with hers. I love you guys. I'm so grateful I had this opportunity to share with you. Unpack those bags. It'll change your life. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities like Promise Keepers by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. There's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head it is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine, I will listen, fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. 
and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on, Ow. if you would just- Don't! Try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on? Hey guys, this is uh, Al Robertson coming to you from the bayous of uh, Louisiana. And uh, I want to talk to you today a little bit about uh, transformation and really a transformation that almost never happened. Um, when I met my wife, we were both teenagers and I was uh, probably in about two years into a, a prodigal run. Um, I spent the first two years being a prodigal son in plain sight. I was a double secret agent. I was right there on the church pew. I was singing the songs. I had the look, uh, but the heart was growing dark and the actions were starting to follow. And it was at this point that I met Lisa. And, um, you know, she was a, a good girl and I was a bad boy. And uh, that's kind of how our relationship started. And I found out pretty quickly that, um, you know, she was crazy about me. Uh, so all I did was take advantage of her, uh, broke her heart, um, left her. And then her life went into a complete tailspin. Of course, mine was already there. And so it took a couple of years for me to kind of get that out of my system and figure out if I continued to live that the way I was living, that I wasn't going to be around for very long. And so I had a, an epiphany uh, in the pig pen, sort of like that kid did in Luke 15. And I had my aha moment uh, where I realized that you stay here, you die. And uh, so I came home. I was, uh, I was given forgiveness. I was given acceptance and love from my family. Uh, I was repentant uh, in my heart. I really wanted to follow Christ, and, and I'd really never understood that until this moment. And, you know, I'd just been in that dark place, and that's where I kind of figured it out. Uh, I realized that, you know, I needed to settle down, uh, and for me that meant to, to find a girl, uh, a girl who would love me and uh, who that I could spend the rest of my life with. And so I never really forgot about Lisa, even though, you know, I treated her terribly. I took a shot, I gave her a call, and uh, we started dating. And, you know, I introduced her to Christ and, and told her about my life change and told her how I wanted to be different, a different man. And of course, she thought that was great and she had been crazy about me anyway. And uh, at first, it felt good, it felt warm. We got married, our lives were great. And then five years in, major bump. You know, all of a sudden there's an emotional affair, uh, which I hate even calling it that because it seems like it lessens it. But I can tell you what, if you've ever had it happen to you, uh, you know it doesn't feel like anything less than a full-blown affair. And the biggest mistake that we made was that we didn't dive in right then and say, why, how? How did the recipe for this, how did the evil one set this atmosphere? Uh, why was the desire there? And see, that's what a lot of times married couples, they don't, they don't look into the why. They just think, you know, man, that was a close call. So we never dove in. Uh, we just figured, chalked it up to a mistake. And so we just kind of rocked on for another 10 years. I went to seminary. I wound up preaching. She was never crazy about that because she didn't feel like she was pastor wife material. And so resentments began to build. And the more time I spent on the mission field, helping the church, the, the bride of Christ had now taken a place over my bride. And so the recipe, once again, was there. So 15 years into our marriage, 
Um, this time there was no roadblock. This time there was no conscience that, that saved the day. This time it was over a year affair uh, with a guy that we both knew from school. And um, during this time, I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I mean, I thought I was going crazy. I didn't know what to do. You know, I was, I was accusatory of her, but at the same time I was backing off. So it took a year and a couple of months before I finally got to the truth. And um, it was hard to get it out of her because she had been so dishonest for so long. It was just like layers of it. But I started in one night because I knew I had the, had the proof. And finally she broke. And um, when it came out, she and I both call it truth vomit because it was just like, bah. you know, it was all the things that were going on, more stuff than I really even wanted to know in the moment. And it came out so forcefully from her that she just went out back behind her house and just dropped to the ground. I mean, she just had, she had finally emptied herself of everything. And, you know, this time I wasn't angry. Uh, I was just numb and I was cold. And I thought, you know, this is it. This is, it's over, uh, you know, the marriage is over, everything. And I just asked her to go away, just to leave. Um, and she did. And so for the next few weeks, I stayed in that numb place, but I began to hear rumblings of what she was doing and people that were helping her and that, you know, it sounded like that she was really turning to Christ. And so I tried to act disinterested, but something inside me said, you know, maybe, maybe. And eventually that maybe turned into an opportunity uh, for me to forgive her and for her to be the person that she is today. Uh, for us, that was 21 years ago. And I got to tell you, right at first, it was really hard. And if there's any of you that are going through this or have been through this or maybe didn't make it and went through a divorce, you know what I'm talking about. But it got easier. And there were two things that were so important for us. And that's the two things I really want you to get today uh, from our story. And that is, is you have to be honest and transparent. And if you've got something that's going on, if you've got something that's above Jesus Christ, if there's an idol in your life, and you've been hiding that, or you've been pushing that down, or you've been hoping that'll go away, you have to be transparent and honest. It's the only way you're gonna find healing. It's the only way for Lisa to find healing. She had been molested as a girl, and you know, so she had been taught by the evil one that you can't be honest, you can't tell the truth. And I think so many times today in the church and all these places, we, we withhold honesty. And then we're not good receivers of honesty because we cloud up and we thunderstorm and we rain and you know we're giving all this bad feedback to people who are finally telling the truth about where they are. Honesty is important. If that's a problem for you, and it's a problem for all of us in the sense that you know we're not perfect, Psalm 51 is a great place for you to go and read. This was Lisa's manna from heaven because that's where David just blah, you know, that's where he vomited his truth out. It's very powerful. Second thing I want to leave with you is forgiveness. Uh, obviously, I had to be able to advance forgiveness to her, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because human forgiveness is conditional. Next time we have an argument, next time we have an issue, I bring it all back up, but that's not the way God forgave us. He said, I will forgive them and remember their sin no more. In a great passage, if you want to see what forgiveness really looks like, is Luke 7, 36 through 50. A woman who was at the feet of Jesus, a, a judgmental Pharisee sitting nearby, and two hearts were present. One was a heart of forgiveness and love, and the other one was scorn and hate. And that's not what you want, because that makes you bitter, just like the Pharisee in that story. So I want to encourage you guys today, be honest, be transparent. If, if you have wronged your wife in this way, um, man, don't let pride 
get in the way of you finding restoration and healing. Uh, it's, it's what we found. And if forgiveness needs to be extended, pray to God that you can forgive someone else, and if it's your spouse especially or someone in your family, the way that He forgives you. And that means you have to make it up in your mind that you're not going to use her sin, someone else's sin, against your relationship in the future. It won't work if you do. Honesty, forgiveness. That's the two things I want to share with you today. I love you guys. Thank you guys for checking this out. How do you get out of the doghouse when your wife is upset with you? Just the question makes me laugh. Let me put a different thought on that. Consider it maybe a greenhouse. Instead of the doghouse, see it as a greenhouse. This is a chance for you to grow. Why is your wife upset? What's she dealing with? What's the internal thought? You say, I don't know, I can't figure her out. There you go. Get in there and try to figure her out. You say, but that would mean me dying to sell. Exactly, that's called a greenhouse. That means you're growing. Humility and confession. <laughs> you gotta acknowledge what the issue is and figure out what it's all about and humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. Uh, a man has to be able to recognize his own faults. A lot of men today um, are defensive. We want to be right. We want to be uh, the one on top. We want to be the one, uh, the leader. And a lot of times we're doing that in the wrong way. But being able to humble ourselves, okay, being able to humble ourselves so that God can exalt the situation. When we exalt ourselves, God humbles us. And so you want to humble yourself. And the quickest way to, I would say, reconcile a relationship is in honesty and humility, going to your wife and saying, here's where I need to grow. So the best way to be able to get out of the doghouse is to be able to look at her in the face, to be able to spend time with her, to be able to listen, and to be able to acknowledge that what she's feeling is not irrational. Own it if you messed up, brother. Own it. And, uh, and then just apologize. Say sorry. And always strive to move in the right direction. If you're in the doghouse, be contrite. Say, babe, I'm sorry. How can I fix this? How can I make it right? Humble yourself. Uh, care about her first. Put her, you know, uh, needs and wants and desires first because she's clearly hurt. And if you do that, she's going to feel more connected to you. She's going to be grateful that you're willing to hear what she has to say. So Gary Chapman, um, you've written one of the best-selling books in Christianity. And it's on something that men so desperately need to know. And I, I just can't wait to see what we're going to talk about today because, you know, this all sort of unfolds because I just think guys are going to need what you have to offer. Okay, so lots of guys have made a mess of all this. And their marriages aren't good. And they're hearing this and hopefully having some serious aha moments, things their wives have said to them. Um, sometimes there's been hurt because of maybe a misunderstanding of how she felt loved. And now a guy's thinking, how is he going to deal with this? And of course, as we start off by saying, I'm sorry is a really good way to start off just about everything. Let's unpack that. Could you talk about different ways to say I'm sorry, ways to be authentic and real? Help a guy out who just, he's never done that. He doesn't know how to say sorry to his wife or his kids, by the way. It's so important to say I'm sorry to your kids sometimes. Yeah. Well, we discovered that about 10% of the population almost never apologizes for anything. And most of them are men. Now, are they just narcissists or are they immature or why? Most of them learned it from their fathers hmm. who said to them, real men don't apologize. Really? Or they simply never heard their father apologize. And I say to those men when they say that to me, 
your dad was probably a good man, but he had bad information. Real men do apologize. In fact, you will not have a long-term healthy marriage if you don't learn to apologize. And I say, I say that because none of us are perfect. Now, one man did raise his hand when the speaker said, does anyone know of a perfect husband? He shot his hand right up. <laughs> he said, my wife's first husband. <laughs> well, my observation is if there are any perfect husbands, they are deceased. And most mm-hmm. of them got perfect after they died. Mm-hmm. There are no perfect husbands. You don't have to be perfect to have a good marriage, but you do have to deal effectively with your failures. And that means learning to apologize, and the other person has to choose to forgive you. And when that happens, then the marriage can go forward. But what we did discover, because we asked thousands of people all over the country two questions. When you apologize, what do you typically say or do? Second question. When someone apologizes to you, what do you want to hear them say or do? Their answers fell into five categories. I promise you, Ken, we were not looking for five. <laughs> I like five. <laughs> I like five. <laughs> but, and we call them the five languages of, apo- of apology. And uh, the book is entitled, When Sorry Isn't Enough. Because, see, many men, that's all they know to say. We typically learned to apologize from our parents. Little Johnny pushes his sister, and his mother says, Johnny, don't push sister. Go tell her you're sorry. So little Johnny says, i sorry, even if he's not. Right. <laughs> he's 25 now. He's married. If he offends his wife, what's he going to say? I'm sorry. But you see, she had different parents, and they probably taught her something else. She has a different idea about what a sincere apology looks like. And what we're asking in our mind, if someone is apologizing, is are they sincere? But we judge sincerity by what they say, because we have an idea in our mind as to what a sincere apology ought to be like. So just briefly, the, the, the languages of apology are, one is expressing regret, often with the words, I'm sorry. But don't ever use those two words alone. Tell them what you're sorry for. I'm sorry that I lost my temper and yelled at you. If you simply say, I'm sorry, they may well be thinking you certainly are. Is there anything else you want to say? Mm. You think you're apologizing. They think you're giving a character report. Tell them what you're sorry for and don't ever use the word but. Or, it, or if. <laughs> if I offended <laughs> if you. If I offended you. That's not an apology. <laughs> but if you say, I'm sorry I lost my temper and yelled at you, but if you had not, then I would not. Now you're blaming them for your behavior. So erase the buts. So expressing regret. Second one is accepting responsibility. I was wrong. Should not have done that. No excuse for that. Now, some men have trouble saying the words, I was wrong. In fact, I've had men say to me, well, Gary, how can I say I was wrong if I don't think I was wrong? Mm -hmm. And I say, don't get bent out of shape about whether it was morally wrong or not. If it hurt your spouse in that sense, it was wrong. Mm -hmm. So accept responsibility. For example, uh, I was speaking somewhere for two or three days, and I came home. My wife had had a chair reupholstered. And I was sitting in the chair, and she walked in and said, Honey, how do you like the new cover? And without thinking, I said, Well, honey, I like it, but to be honest, I like the old cover better. And she broke into tears. Oh. And she said, I can't believe you don't like it. I spent two months going all over town trying to find material. Now you don't like it. Now, folks, what I said was not morally wrong, 
It was stupid. <laughs> I didn't think before I spoke. So don't don't get hung up. Well, I wasn't morally wrong. If it hurt the relationship, accept responsibility. So, I'll, I'll so even the guy that wrote the book on all this can screw up. Absolutely. That's good to know. It gives the rest of us hope. Most of, most of what I've learned, I've learned by messing up. <laughs> and then, uh, let's see, accepting responsibility and then uh, offering to make restitution. What can I do to make this up to you? Or how can I make this right? Uh, for example, uh, I, know, I know you guys would never do this, but let's say you forget your anniversary, okay? No flowers, no candy, no dinner, nothing. And you look over on the couch that night and she's crying. And you say, honey, what's wrong? And she said, I can't believe you don't know what's wrong. <laughs> I doubt that I'm sorry is going to hack it. But if you say, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I, I thought about it on Monday. I was going to make reservations. And I, I, oh, honey, I have blown it this time big time. But, 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 but look, honey, I know we can't do anything tonight, but let me make it up to you. And we can still celebrate, honey. Let, let's really celebrate. What would you like to do? She'll have an idea. Little trip to Hawaii. It, uh, you still have an idea. <laughs> it got low, way more expensive, basically. <laughs> but offering to make restitution. And for some people, if you don't offer to make things right or ask that question, in their mind, you're not really sincere. And then uh, number four, which oftentimes I forget number four, <laughs> uh, it is expressing the desire to change your behavior. Mm, okay. The biblical word's repentance. Then when you repent, you turn away from your wrongdoing and you turn to Christ and you follow him. Well, this is, this is similar to that. What you're saying is, I don't like what I did. And I know I did it last month, and I don't want to keep doing this. Can we get a plan so I won't do this again? And I was sharing this with a lady, and she said, I can give you an example of that. She said, several years ago, when the baby was little, my husband was looking after the baby, and I was doing some other stuff in the house. She said, the baby was crying. He did everything he could to get the baby to stop crying, and then he lost his temper. And he picked up our baby and started shaking our baby. And when he did, I grabbed the baby and said, don't do that to our baby. And I ran into the bedroom just sobbing. She said, in 10 or 15 minutes, he knocked on the door and asked me if he could come in. And when he walked in, he started crying. And he said, honey, I can't believe I did that. You know I love our baby. I don't ever want to do that again. Can you help me? Can we get a plan so I won't do that again? She said, Gary, I sensed he was so sincere that I forgave him, even though what he did was horrible. She said, we sat there and talked and came up with a simple plan that if he ever felt himself about to lose his temper with one of our children, he would simply say to me, honey, I'm hot. I got to take a walk. And I would know what that meant. And he'd take a walk and I'd take over. And then he would come back when he'd come 30 minutes. He didn't walk all night. He came back, okay, <laughs> and said, okay, honey. I think I'm under control. What can I do to plug back in? He plugged back into the night. She said, Gary, that was eight years ago. He's never lost his temper with one of our children since. He's taken quite a few walks, mm. but he's never lost his temper. Wow. So for some people, this really communicates that you're sincere. And then the last one is requesting forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Or I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. And I have to be honest, this one was never on my radar. 
I mean, I thought if I'm apologizing in any manner, wouldn't you know I want to be forgiven? Why would I be apologizing? But for some people, they, they are waiting for you to say, will you forgive me, or I hope you will forgive me. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that, that's also one. So those are the five ways to apologize. And what I'd suggest to the guys is that you discuss this with your spouse. And the two of you might won't even read the book because I'll guarantee you your wife, is, your wife has never probably thought of this because most people have never thought of what I've just described. And that's why we wrote the book, When Sorry Isn't Enough. And, and then discuss, you know, what, what do you consider to be a sincere apology? And you, you'll likely find out that she has one idea and you have another idea. And now you get on the same page and now you know how to apologize when you need to apologize. Now, apology alone never restores a relationship. There has to be a response to an apology. And that's where forgiveness comes in. And the biblical response is we forgive as God forgives us, Ephesians 4.32. So how does God forgive us? When we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. So when your spouse apologizes, we do what Jesus did. We forgive them. And now we remove the barrier, and now the relationship can go forward. So apologizing and forgiving are essential if we're going to have long-term, healthy marriages. Join us again next week for part two of the summit, where we'll hear teaching from Rick Burgess, John and Lisa Bevere, Jared Lopes, Jimmy Evans, and Samuel Rodriguez. Again, the full Men's Marriage Summit is available at promisekeepers.org, along with the 21-day Marriage Challenge in the Promise Keepers community app. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. <laughs>